All right, so Pastor Matt has us in this series called You Asked, We Answered. So the question that I'm attempting to answer tonight is, why am I here at this point in time? So I hope we do that. So I got to start with a few questions, though. So who here has an absolutely perfect life where nothing ever goes wrong? Show of hands. That's weird. No hands went up. So another one. Who here has perfect parents? I know. Let's see. Jenna's hand should be up. Jesse's hand should be up. I don't know what's going on here. So the reason I ask those questions, they're funny questions, right? Silly questions. But it's just to show that none of us are perfect. We all have problems. Some of our problems we cause for ourselves, and some of our problems other people cause for us. So if things in our life are imperfect, we might find ourselves asking a really good question. Why would God choose to have me be born right now, in this time, in this place? Or we may even ask, does God actually pick for us to live in this specific time and place? So Jeremiah 1.5 teaches us something really amazing. God created each of us specifically for a good reason. In Jeremiah, we learn that God knew us before he formed us in our mother's womb. God consecrated us before we were born. That's neat to know. Now, consecrated is kind of a big word with a lot of meaning. But the way I'm using it here is just to explain that God set us aside before we were born to have a relationship with him and to walk in his ways to be different than the rest of the world. Another, another thing we learn from God's word is in Mark 12, 28 through 31. And that says, one of the scribes asked Jesus, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So from Jeremiah, we learn that God knew us before he formed us in, in our mother's womb. From Mark, we learn that we are commanded to love God, love our neighbors, and love ourselves. So when we think about those two scriptures together, I think it's fair to conclude that God created us in a way that will best suit our ability to love him, love others, and love ourselves. But the question that we're attempting to answer here is, why am I here at this specific time? And if you happen to be living a hard life, if you're hurting, if we see others hurting, we really may wonder why God would have us live in this time and place, right? Even if we aren't hurting, we might be seeking to find where we fit in, where we fit into this life with our family, our friends, God's plan in general. We may be trying to figure out what we are meant to do and who we are meant to be. So I'm going to tell you all just a little about my early life as a kid. <clears throat> when I was born, my mom was actually only 14 years old. I had no father, and I still don't know him to this day. I don't even know his name. So some of y'all here are close to the age of 14, or you are 14. And I don't know if you can imagine this or not. I'm not sure if you can, but try to imagine just how hard it would be to work and provide for a child at your age and be able to provide all the things they need, be able to stay up all night with them and then get up the next day and work and still teach them and train them in the ways they need to be taught and trained. Can you even imagine? 
<laughs> Babies are hard, y'all, if you don't know. So my mom wasn't able to earn a living and take care of me the way most of us hope to take care of our children most of the time. Through my early years, I was moved around a lot to live with different people. When I did live with my mom, we had to move often because she couldn't pay rent. I actually went hungry at times as a child. But when my life really got tough was when I was about three years old. My mom met and married a man, and we would come to find out that he was addicted to drugs, and he was an alcoholic. He was a very, very violent and angry man. He beat my mom regularly, and he was very abusive mentally. He seemed to always be angry with me. He regularly beat me terribly and consistently abused me mentally. I walked on eggshells every minute I was at, the, at home. I was much more comfortable at school or when I was at my grandparents, but I was always quiet. I always had to make up excuses for what was wrong with me. He choked me. He hit me regularly. He even put my head through the drywall a few times. Once, he actually beat our dog to death right in front of me with an axe handle. I can actually, y'all, I can still close my eyes, and I can see the blood splatter on the walls and the ceiling. Sometimes he'd lock me in the closet or in my room when my mom wasn't home. I could actually hear him in the other room with other women. One time I was locked in my room for so long that I had to go to the restroom, and I went on the floor. And when he found that, I got one of the very worst beatings of my entire life. He constantly called me stupid and weak. He used really terrible language to emasculate me and just make me feel low in general. This went on for a lot of years, and I really did feel worthless and weak. Those words are hard, worthless and weak. One of my very worst memories was seeing him hold my youngest sister way up high over his head, and he threatened my mom that if she left, he would smash her. So... Why would God choose for me to be born in that specific time and that specific place? Many of you go through hard things too, right? Why would God have you be born in your specific time and place if you have to go through hard things? I want to mention something here, almost as a side note, and I'm going to explain it the way Pastor Curtis often explains things. I believe in free will, meaning we get to choose what our actions are. I also believe in the providential hand of God, meaning I believe that God did specifically create me to be born when I was born and where I was born. Now, where free will and God's providence overlap, I can't really say. One thing I can say is that we are free to make choices, and sometimes that means we suffer the consequences of other people's choices. I suffered the consequences of that man's choices, right? When I was a young boy. So from here, maybe the best way I can sum things up is to say that my response is my responsibility. We've all heard that, right? The way I respond to things in my life is my responsibility. I don't get to choose how other people act towards me, but I do get to choose my response. I get to choose how I'll live my life. And I want you all to know something else. Some of you are probably living a very good life. And others of you, you're probably facing some really hard things right now. One thing I know to be true is no matter which shoes you're in right now, all of us are going to face hard times. At some point, you're going to have hard times. Another thing I want you all to know 
is that your problems are real problems. Your problems matter, and don't ever think they don't if another person's story sounds harder than what you're going through. Your problems matter. But just like your problems matter, your response to your problems also matters. Learn from those around you. Learn to do the good things that you see good people doing around you. And learn not to repeat the bad things from those that are doing bad around you. Be a chain breaker. Now I want to share a biblical example that shows how God created us for this time and place. This comes from chapter 4 of the book of Esther. We're going to see, when we read that chapter, we see the phrase, for such a time as this. And it's a great example to show us that we are born in a specific time, just like Esther. Esther was a Jew as the new queen of King Xerxes. And the king, he didn't yet know that she was a Jew. God created Esther for that specific time and place. And now we're going to watch a video clip to explain Esther's story. throwing two elaborate banquet feasts that last a total of 187 days. And it's all for the grandiose purpose of displaying his greatness and splendor. On the last day of the banquet feast, he's really drunk, and he demands that his wife, Queen Vashti, appear at the party to show off her beauty. She refuses. And so in a drunken rage, the king deposes Vashti and makes the silly decree that all Persian men should now be the masters of their own homes. Then he holds a beauty pageant because he wants to find a new queen. This is like a really bad soap opera. But it's right here that we're introduced to Esther and Mordecai. Esther hides her Jewish identity and enters the beauty beauty pageant and wins. And the king is so obsessed with Esther that he elevates her to become the new queen of Persia. Now after this, and even more serendipitous, is the fact that Mordecai just happens to overhear two royal guards plotting to murder the king. And so he informs Esther, who in turn informs the king, and Mordecai gets credit for saving the king's life. Now, right here from the beginning, God's not mentioned anywhere, but this all seems providentially ordered. What is it that God's up to? You have to keep reading. We're next introduced to Haman, who's not actually a Persian. He's called an Agagite. He's a descendant of the ancient Canaanites. Remember for Samuel chapter 15. The king elevates Haman to the highest position in the kingdom, and he demands that everybody kneel before Haman. Well, when Mordecai sees Haman, he refuses to kneel, which of course fills Haman with rage. And when he finds out that Mordecai's Jewish, Haman successfully persuades the king to enact this crazy decree to destroy all of the Jewish people. And to decide the date of the Jews' annihilation, Haman rolls the dice. A die is called Pur in Hebrew. Tuck that away for later. Eleven months later, on the 13th of Adar, all the Jews will die. Haman and the king then have a drinking banquet to celebrate their really horrible decision. So the focus now turns to Mordecai and Esther, who are the only hope for the Jewish people. They make a plan that Esther is going to reveal her Jewish identity to the king and ask him to reverse the decree. But approaching the king without a royal request is, according to Persian law, an act worthy of death. 
So in a key statement, Mordecai, he's confident that even if Esther remains silent, that deliverance for the Jews will arrive from another place. And then Mordecai wonders aloud. He says, who knows? Maybe you've become queen for this very moment. Esther responds with bravery, and she purposes to go to the king with her amazing words, if I perish, I perish. Now, in what unfolds, we watch the ironic reversal of all of Haman's evil plans. So Esther hosts the king and Haman at a first banquet, and she says that she wants to make a special request of both of them at an exclusive banquet the following day. So Haman leaves the banquet totally drunk, and he sees Mordecai in the street. He fumes with anger, and he orders that a tall stake be built so that Mordecai can be impaled upon it in the morning. It seems like things can't get any worse for the Jews and for Mordecai. But all of a sudden, the story pivots. It just so happens that night, the king, he can't sleep. And he has the royal chronicles read to him for good bedtime reading. And he just happens to hear about how Mordecai had saved the king's life. He had totally forgotten. So in the morning, Haman enters to request Mordecai's execution. And the king in that moment orders Haman to honor Mordecai publicly for saving his life. So now Haman has to lead Mordecai around the city on a royal horse, telling everyone to praise him. Now this moment in the story, it's a pivot for the whole book. It begins Haman's downfall and Mordecai's rise to power. Watch how this works. The day after is Esther's second banquet. So the king and Haman arrive and Esther informs the king that first of all, she's Jewish. And second, that Haman has enacted a decree to murder her and to murder Mordecai, who saved his life, and to murder all of the Jews. Now the king's had a lot to drink. So when he hears this news, he goes into yet one more drunken rage, and he orders that Haman be impaled on the very stake he made for Mordecai. It's ironic and a grisly way for Haman to go. So I hope y'all picked up there what went on, but Esther chose bravery. She chose to speak the truth when it wasn't easy. She understood that God had placed her at that specific time and place so that she could make a difference for God's chosen people, the Jews. She truly didn't know if the king would have her killed, or if she would save herself and the rest of the Jews. It had to have been really hard. It had to have been really scary for her, right? But ultimately, she understood that regardless of the outcome, she knew that God put her there at that specific time and that specific place for his reasons. So the big takeaway is right there. We really can see that God placed Esther there at that time and that place on purpose. And just like Queen Esther, we are born at a specific time and place. So can you imagine if God, through his providential wisdom, had not placed Esther there? What would have happened to the Jews? Earlier, I told y'all a little about how my life was hard as a kid. But I want to move on from there. I want to tell y'all why God put me at this specific time in this specific place. Now, I'm not as influential as Queen Esther, but that's okay. I do have a specific mission from God, and I'm going to do everything I can to accomplish that mission. We won't all have the same mission as someone like Esther, but we will have an important mission. And I want to tell y'all just a little bit more, more about me. I told y'all my life was hard as a boy, right? I was raised in a home with that very abusive man. He was a drug addict and an alcoholic. I actually learned from him, though. I learned what I didn't want to be. I learned that my response is my responsibility. 
Now, y'all, I could have just felt sorry for myself. I could have grown up and just been a victim, had a victim mentality, right? I could have chosen to make the same mistakes he made, but my response is my responsibility, and I choose to live life differently. So when I was 18, I joined the Marine Corps. I began to learn discipline. I actually learned that I was strong and even courageous. And why do I use those words, strong and courageous? Because what he had tried to build into me was that I was weak and worthless. But I wasn't those terrible things that that man had said and done to me. I began to learn to break those chains. Today, y'all, I'm a very happy man. God has blessed me with a very beautiful wife and three wonderful daughters. Jesse and Jenna are here, and they are truly a blessing to me from God. I know that God placed me here, right here, right now, at this time and place, to be a husband to Amber and to be a father to my daughters. I also get to serve as a pastor here at Harvest Connection. God has taken me from that little boy that was abused to a man that serves him by serving his people, some right here at this church. I'm thankful, y'all, like truly thankful. I hope each and every one of you learn to be thankful. It may sound odd, but I'm even thankful for those terrible years when I was a little boy. I'm thankful because God has redeemed those years and taught me to do better, to be better. God wants me to disciple my family, and he wants me to disciple the people that he places around me. God created me for this specific time and place, just like he created you, each and every one of you, for this specific time and place. At times, that can be hard to see. But we need to trust God, and we need to understand that we have a responsibility to be obedient to God and to learn and grow. When we learn to be trustworthy in the small things, God may begin to trust us with larger things. So a question to think about. Are you looking around to see who you can serve? Or are you just waiting to see if you can get what you want? Those two things are very, very different, y'all. We weren't created to just get what we want. We were created to love God, love others, and learn to love ourselves, though. God wants us to love him and to love others and to learn to love ourselves. We have to learn what it means to love ourselves so that we can properly learn to love others. We have to listen to what God says we are, not what mean people say we are. We have to learn that we don't have to go down the same road as others that do bad things. Through the strength of God, by the grace of God, we can truly learn, grow, and respond properly. Now, as a teenager, y'all, at the age y'all are at, it would actually be very uncommon for you to know your exact mission right now. But as you continue to age and mature, you want to begin to understand that your purpose isn't all about you. It's about loving God, loving others, and learning to love yourself. You are currently in a time of preparation. You should be learning, growing, and maturing. But you shouldn't wait to start serving others. Serve now. I believe we don't have to look very far around us to figure out why we live, where we live, and when we live. We don't have to look very far around because God places people around us to help us grow 
and people that we can each help grow. We're meant to be discipled and to disciple those that God places around us. Remember, y'all, we can't control the choices that other people make. We can control the choices we make, and the choices we make each day are the most spiritual things we'll do. Now, if you really want to figure out why you live in this specific time and place, you'll learn to do the little things very well. God isn't going to give you more to handle. He isn't going to give you a big mission if you don't do the little things well that he places in front of you. If you don't honor your parents, do you think God will honor you with more? If you don't take care of your schoolwork and your home chores, why would God give you more? If you're more concerned with spreading drama than living a thankful life, why would God give you more? I want to conclude with Ecclesiastes 3. In Ecclesiastes 3, we learn that we are born for such a time as this. We're given a wonderful list of things, but I'm only going to read a few of them to you. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to be silent and a time to speak. Now that first one I read was, there's a time to give birth and a time to die. God set your time to be born on purpose in this time and place so you can accomplish what he has set for you to accomplish. Now that's followed up with one more amazing scripture, y'all. Ecclesiastes 3.14 says, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it and nothing to take from it. Y'all, each and every one of you were born for such a time as this. One last thing I want to leave you with. Consider keeping a journal. Really slow down and pay attention to what's going on around you. Place things that matter in your mind and write them in that journal. That way, as you grow older, you'll have a better chance of looking back to see all of the reasons that God has placed you in your specific time and your specific place. You really were born for such a time as this. You have a mission. Learn and grow so when you find your mission, you'll be ready. Blessings, y'all.